Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Dutzcom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger pricks. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out Stingrip at stingrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. Welcome back to another episode of Keeping It 100 Radio. If you are new to the podcast, my name is Lissie Pointer. I am a certified health coach, certified personal trainer, neurolinguistic programming practitioner, and type 1 diabetic of nine years. And that whole nine years is very new. Um, My diversary was actually almost about a week and a half ago. So that is why we are filming this episode today. And that is to celebrate this diversary. Now, for a long time, I never thought I would say the words celebrate and diversary in the same sentence. But I guess you can say over the past almost decade, we've come a long way. And I truly do use this month or this day in February to really celebrate this diagnosis. And that's what this podcast episode is all going to be on. We're going to talk about the nine lessons that I have learned over the past nine years of living with type 1 diabetes. And whether you were just diagnosed yesterday or 20 or 40 years ago, there is going to be something inside of this podcast episode for you because I find that no matter where you are in your journey, there's always room to learn from other people's experiences. And I'm not here to say that I have more experience than the next person, but I do find that learning from other people's experiences is just such a valuable piece of being inside of this community. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. If you are new to the podcast or just new to my journey, like I mentioned, I was diagnosed nine years ago on February 17th. Um, So I was a a freshman in college. I had just gone to Penn State. I'd moved out of my home for the very first time and living on my own. And it was spring semester. And uh, in January, I had come down with the flu, which was not a surprise. Like I went to a campus with 40,000 people living on it. And you're, you know, you're taking the bus around this giant campus and you're packed in like sardine cans. It was just, it was bound to happen that I was bound to get sick at some point. So, you know, fast forward a few weeks, I was still feeling all of those symptoms. And if you are not familiar with the symptoms of type 1 diabetes, please pay attention to these and like write them down somewhere because you just never know when you might be experiencing yourself having these symptoms or maybe your child or if you're a teacher, a student. It's just really important to know the symptoms of type 1 diabetes because like myself, these symptoms can be passed off as something else. I thought that I was still healing from the flu. I thought that my body was just needed a little bit more recovery time. 
So I was able to pass off the symptoms as that, you know, I was getting more thirsty. So I was feeling severely dehydrated, which I'm like, okay, my body just needs to recoup from two weeks of being down for the count um, with the flu. I was very tired, so very lethargic. I could barely make it to my classes. Um, I was peeing a lot, which like urination is just a you know, it's a big symptom of type 1 diabetes. So things that were very uncommon, I was getting up in the middle of the night like two or three times to use the bathroom and waking my roommate up, which again, it just wasn't a normal symptom, but I was able to justify it by saying, you know, my body's recovering from the flu. It needs more hydration. It needs more fluids. So naturally I'm using the bathroom more. Didn't even think anything of it. But slowly, these other symptoms started popping up. I started noticing myself really craving a lot of sweets, which now looking back on it, I'm like, of course, because my cells weren't getting the glucose that they needed. So, of course, I was craving the things that my body thought it needed. So I was craving like orange juice and apple juice all the time. And I'm not really like a juice person. I never really have been. I always just resorted to like water or milk. So craving that was very it was just odd that I went out of my way to go to like the commons and get a bottle of juice so that started popping up I remember very specifically one night sitting with my friend in my dorm and literally having like ice cream with Oreos which again like it doesn't sound that uncommon for a freshman in college to be like not eating the best but for me it was just very weird that my body was craving those things Now, again, those things I was able to pass off. Recovering from the flu, being a freshman in college, we always hear of those stories of just, you know, you're living in a dorm, you have the cafeteria where, like, you're introduced to different foods. Those are, I was able to pass off. Now, over the t- over time, things started getting progressively worse. So, specifically, I remember one time taking a phys- my physics exam, which I'm not good at physics. <laughs> I went to school for engineering, but... I am not an engineer, as now we know, but I remember sitting in my Physics 211 exam, and as much as I studied for that exam, and I remember we even got an extra extension to study for that exam because the day of the first exam, it had snowed, and Penn State never cancels classes, but that specific day, it canceled. So we had an extra week to study for this exam. You would never know it because I was looking at, at that exam, and I could visibly see it, but my mind was not connecting to it. My mind was not there. I was so... I was just very like cloudy headed. So that was another huge thing that was just very out of, out of the norm for me. And the final one that really was just the icing on the cake, and I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I had looked, you know, I, first of all, Penn State, very, very small dorm rooms. <laughs> so you have, you have a roommate and you're not far away from each other, maybe two to four feet. So I remember waking up one day and looking over at my roommate and her face was just completely blurry. I could not see her. And now I do need glasses for distance. I drive with glasses. I needed glasses for class. But seeing my roommate, you know, two to four feet away shouldn't have been difficult for me. And that was kind of that big red flag where I was like, something's wrong. And that's kind of what worried me to see a doctor because of all things, I was like, if this is affecting my vision, I need to get it checked out. So that day I was doing a lot of research and, you know, it's around Valentine's Day. So it's just, you know, one of those weeks where you're celebrating with your friends, you're going out. But I 
was researching and everything that kept popping up was type 1 diabetes, type 1 diabetes. And so I called my parents and told them that like, this is what I'm suspecting and this is what's coming up. There's no way, like it doesn't run in our family. You've never, like you've always been active. You're not a child, you know, because type 1 diabetes has the word juvenile linked to it. They didn't think that there was any way that I could be type 1 diabetic. But I wanted to take the precautions anyway, so I called the overnight nurse at Penn State, and if you know schools like Penn State where there's, again, 40,000 people on campus, you need to make an appointment to be seen by a doctor. Now, the overnight nurse, she heard my symptoms and she said, don't even make an appointment, get here at 8 a.m. and you will be seen. Now, that was red flag number two or three, because for them to be saying, come in without an appointment and you will be seen by a doctor... That was very alarming. So, of course, I did that. I went the very next day on February 17th. I was seen by a physician assistant. She heard my symptoms, and I'm very, very lucky that she immediately, you know, drew the conclusion to type 1 diabetes because she took my blood, I peed in her cup, and about 20 minutes later, you know, I the nurse was peeking her head in saying positive for ketones. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but she basically was able to draw the conclusion right then and there that I was type 1 diabetic. It really didn't hit me right away. It took until about the next day when I was finally seen by an endocrinologist. And of course, at that time, I had already talked to my whole family. I'm Googling. I'm getting opinions from other people. And I'm bringing all these conclusions to her of like, well, what if I cut wheat out of my diet? I just don't eat carbs. Like, what if I exercise more? Like, can I reverse this? And she just sat and like she just looked me in the eye and said, unfortunately, that's not how this works. You're going to be living with this for the rest of your life. And I think that's when it really, really hit of like the word chronic. That's when it really hit. And I just remember like because I went in with so much faith that maybe she was wrong or maybe I could spark something that she wasn't thinking of yet. And that was the first time I really got to like cry about being diagnosed with something because I had just gone you know, 19 years with being labeled as healthy and never having to restrict what I ate. So I think just thinking of this, it kind of just hit in that moment. That day I was introduced to insulin and we all know how the rest of the story goes. Now, fast forward four years, I was also diagnosed that same week, ironically, on February 14th of 2017. So again, fast forward four years, that's when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease as well. I had moved away to Miami after graduation for a job that I had gotten and, you know, symptoms come and I was diagnosed with Crohn's as well. So this whole week of like February 14th to February 17th, every year is, I don't want to say it's heavy because again, it's something that I do celebrate because it's an opportunity that I've gotten to take in, I've gotten to take to learn more about my body. But it's always one of those really reflective weeks because who would have thought that in the same week, four years apart, I'd be diagnosed with two different autoimmune diseases. So in this episode, I really want to go through over the past nine years since that initial diagnosis, what are some things that I've learned and be able to take away and bring into my diagnosis so now that it is something that I celebrate and something that I'm able to live with instead of just be complacent with. So we're going to start with number one, and that is lesson number one, that your body is your own. So when I was first diagnosed, the thing that really, I think, weighed heaviest on me was that my body no longer felt like ownership of, of myself. It felt like I was just 
you know, being told what to do by my doctors. And again, I like I say this over and over again, but I was a gymnast for 10 years. So the word control was something that I was very familiar with because that's the entire sport is to have control over your body. You want to have perfect form and get through the skills perfectly. So being introduced to something where control is very relative and control was pretty much introduced as something as if you live by the same routine, you take the same insulin doses every day and you do it something, you do everything that your doctor says step by step, then you can have control. I felt like in that moment that my body wasn't mine. It was now something that I had to share along with my doctors and I had to share along with a diagnosis that I didn't ask for. So I think just in general, when you're diagnosed with any form of autoimmune disease, or maybe it's a a mental illness or anything related to that, you feel a loss of your own body and a loss of that control. And I felt it. I felt like I had no control over my blood sugars. I had no control over the things that I had to do to keep my body alive. I had to take the insulin. I had to check my blood sugars. You have no choice over those things. So it was all things that I felt very little control over. And, you know, to their credit, our doctors have to do it this way, right? They tell us what doses to take. They have to teach us to take our insulin. They have to teach us to test our blood sugars because in something in a diagnosis like this, it's really the only guidance that they can give us because it is such a big adjustment. But where I find that people like myself really get stuck was assuming that it had to stay that way. It had to stay that structured and it had to stay that routine. And over the last four years, I've learned that my preferences do matter. It does matter what activities I like to do. It does matter what foods I like to eat and my social life and the environment that I put my body in. And so over the past four years, I've gotten to really learn my own body and my own patterns more than my endocrinologist ever really will. And that in itself has allowed me to feel more ownership and more control over my own body instead of feeling like I have to give that responsibility to somebody else to be told how to take care of my body. And with that being said, I've gotten to make my diabetes management my own, so I no longer follow a very specific diet that somebody else told me to do. I don't do exercises that somebody else told me to do or manage my diabetes in a very specific way that my endocrinologist told me. Of course, those opinions are taken into consideration as my doctors and as my physicians, but it's definitely more of a partnership and a collaboration than just being told what to do with my own body. And off of that, going into lesson number two, is that it's not all about control. It's about ownership. So for so long, I felt like I would feel better if I had more control over my blood sugars. So I thought, if I just do X, Y, and Z, I will be able to keep my blood sugars in range and I will feel better. But at the end of the day, I learned that it wasn't really control that I wanted because at the end of the day, there's only so much control that we can have over our blood sugars. Of course, we can go in and set intention with our doses and really use strategy to our best ability. But at the end of the day, you know, there's only so much that we can control over an organ that doesn't really work anymore that we're doing the work for. And what I felt was that 
I really actually just wanted to have ownership. So I wanted to be able to walk into my endocrinologist more confidently. I wanted to feel more confident in my A1C and know what exactly to expect. And I want to feel more confident in general of just living with this diagnosis from that on that day-to-day basis. And, you know, with that, I've learned that there's only so much that our endocrinologist can do to help us have that ownership. Yes, your endocrinologist can change your basal rate. They can adjust your carb ratios. They can adjust your correction factors and all the insulin settings, but they are not the ones that are controlling our behaviors. They are not in charge of our habits and they're not in charge of that emotional connection or emotional um, relationship that we have to the number. That is all things that we have to have ownership over. And over the years, I've learned how to not control those things, but have ownership over them so that no matter what the blood sugar says, I know that I have the best intention by having control and having ownership over my own behaviors, emotions, and habits. And when you have that, when you have those things, and you can feel confident in those things, honestly, the blood sugars fall into place. I had so many years where, yes, my blood sugars were in range, or not even my my blood sugars weren't in range, my A1C was in range or it was low risk, but I still felt like I had no idea what was going on on a day-to-day basis, and I felt like everything that I did was very reactive in terms of the numbers. So having ownership over these things and having confidence over the behaviors, habits, and emotions, I feel like the blood sugars have followed and I can take more of a proactive approach. And that's what leads me into lesson number three. And that is that reactive behaviors lead to reactive outcomes. And all in all, your headspace matters when making these decisions. So I'm sure that you can relate to this because I definitely can, but how many times are you walking throughout your day, you see a high blood sugar, you take that rage bolus, or you have the food in front of you and you are just mindlessly taking that bolus or guesstimating the carbs on your plate? It's very common because, one, the longer that you live with diabetes, the quicker that we are to have default behaviors because we're going through the motions every single day and the more automated those default behaviors come. So we have these behaviors that are just automatic at that point. And number two, we have other things to worry about in our day other than diabetes, right? We have our career, we have our relationships, we have our um, social life, we have our families. There's so many other things that are more top of mind than diabetes. So these behaviors and habits, they're just automatic because they can't be our, they can't be our everything. They, they can't be top of mind all the time. But what I've learned is that at the end of the day, the more reactive we are to our decisions, the more that we are putting more energy into our diabetes management. So when we are making quick decisions that don't have much intention into them, we are watching our deaths calm more. We are having less trust in the dose that we just take, and we are not able to stay as present in the moment as as we would like to. I remember having a conversation with a client, and she was like, I don't even care what the A1C is. I don't care about the time and range. Yes, of course, those were goals of hers, but she's like, my end goal is that when I sit around the table with my family, I want the conversation to stop being about diabetes. I want to stop hearing the beeping so that my family doesn't have to ask, 
what's going on with your blood sugars. I want I want my family to feel more confident in my management and in turn me feeling more confident in my management so that the conversation around the dinner table doesn't have to be, hey, how are your blood sugars today? What do you need? And I think it all goes back to that of the more trust that we can have in our blood sugars the more confidence we can have in the overall day-to-day management. And that all comes from how intentional and how proactive can we be in our day-to-day management. Now, now that doesn't mean that we have to get every dose perfect. It doesn't mean that we have to carb count perfectly all the time and do perfect calculations all the time. But that does mean that we want to add intention into those day-to-day decisions. So whether that just means taking a pause before taking that rage bolus or just taking a moment to actually look at our plate and ask a few questions before settling on that dose anything that we are just taking a little bit of time to be more intentional over will pay off in the long run and you're going to notice that it made such a difference in the results and the outcomes that you see now going into lesson number four it is not your job to make other people comfortable with your diagnosis This was something that took me a long time to learn because, like I mentioned, I was 19 when I was diagnosed, so I was heavily influenced by my social life, right? Like, I had a lot of friends at college. I had just gotten used to, like, all the people on my floor in my dorm room. I was, you know, going around dating, and it was hard to be labeled as a type 1 diabetic when your social life is so important to you at the time. Of course, it's important at any time in your life, but this was a time where I didn't want to slap a label on myself and say, I'm type 1 diabetic when I'm meeting new people or going on dates. This wasn't a time where I wanted to stop what I was doing in the middle of lunch with my friends and have to take an injection. And over the years, I've lost a lot of people because of my diagnosis. And I don't, maybe it's not because of my di- diagnosis, but I've found that it has filtered people out of my life. And now I'm at the point where I'm okay with it, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't painful at the time. But I've had, you know, going on dates where I've said I'm type 1 diabetic and people might not be okay with that. Or I've had friends where, you know, after college, coming home for the summer, people I knew from high school saying, hey, you're not the same person that you were before you left for high school or for college. You're less spontaneous. You're more careful about things. And that wasn't something that they wanted to reflect in their, their own lives. And again, in the moment, it may be something that feels like I resent my diagnosis so much because now this is what it's causing. But now I think of it as, you know, I simply, it's just a filtration system. The people who are supportive of this diagnosis, they're supportive of my life with diabetes. Those are the people who are meant to be there. And at the end of the day, I feel like with or without diabetes, they're meant to be there. And diabetes, again, just acts as that little filtration, that like little like checkbox of are they supportive of it? Great. And if they're not, then they weren't meant to be there in the first place. But it's not your job to make other people comfortable with your diagnosis. You did not choose this. The most that you can do is be confident in it and and put that first, maybe not first, but make it a part of your life and feel confident in that and other people who are meant to be there will follow. Now, going into number five, this one is a little... This is something I also had to learn the hard way, but it's not insulin resistance if you're not giving your body what it needs. So I feel like on, excuse me, on social media, 
we are always fed this information of like fits your insulin resistance, increase your insulin sensitivity. And yes, there's definitely a time and a place in that because when you're living with type 1 diabetes, you can have insulin resistance. And there are habits and behaviors that we can do to combat that, like increasing hydration, adding in fiber, adding in movement, all of those things. But also, it's important to remember that there is not just one dose that you'll have for the rest of your life. There's not just one amount of insulin that your body will always need. And I talk to a lot of people living with type 1 diabetes, and they kind of feel really um, like resentful of their body and like kind of judge their body a little bit because they're like, I used to be able to take this amount of insulin and it was fine, and now it's not working for me. But remember, your body is going through so many different changes from the day that you're diagnosed with with or without diabetes so remember like there are seasonal changes you are going through hormonal changes you have activity changes um during pregnancy your insulin needs can change there's so many different reasons as to why you may need more insulin and it's okay to give your body that and it's okay not to judge it for just needing a little bit more So I think it's a balance between knowing, okay, at what point maybe is resistance kicking in, but also at what point does my body just need what it needs and I'm okay giving it it that. So just something to think about as you're reflecting on your own management. Number six, your blood sugars will tell you when self-care is lacking. So believe it or not, your blood sugars are not just an outcome of the insulin that you take and the carbs that you eat. They're actually an outcome of how you take care of your body as a whole. So when your blood sugars are feeling more reactive and maybe you're having more fluctuations overall or maybe a little bit more insulin resistance is kicking in, this is your sign to ask yourself how you're taking care of your stress management, how you're taking care of your mental health, how you're showing up in your relationships, your environment, all of those things. Because at the end of the day, that's what, we, that's what we're looking at when we're looking at a holistic approach. It's not just about increasing your insulin or or taking eating less carbs it's about showing up for your body and you'll usually see the blood sugars come as a result of that so if you're noticing more fluctuations this is your sign to just maybe look inward a little bit and ask yourself those questions to see not only can you show up for your blood sugars more but how can you show up for yourself more now going into number seven (sighs) this one definitely took me a while to learn Your diagnosis will bring you opportunities, but you have to let it. When I was first diagnosed with diabetes, again, 19 years old, at the very beginning of my young adulthood, I thought that everything was on hold. I thought that I would never be able to travel. I thought I would never have a a partnership. I thought I would not have to be able to have a family. And I truly thought that everything would just come to a stop. But since being diagnosed, I have been out of the country four times. I have lived in three different states. I have traveled across the country for 21 days. I've hiked in eight national parks. I've become self-employed with self-employed insurance, which is a whole nother story. But I always hear people saying like, oh, I would do XYZ if I didn't have to worry about the health insurance. This is just your sign that although it's more expensive, it's, it's definitely doable. So don't put your dreams on hold just because you live with type 1 diabetes. But with that, I've also worked with hundreds of women living with type 1 diabetes. And all that to say, 
none of that would have happened if I let diabetes limit me and if I had not let it open myself to these other opportunities. If I had said diabetes is putting my life to a halt and I had stayed true to that that belief, of course it would have. I never would have traveled. I never would have found my fiance. I never would have moved away from home for a year. All these different things. So just remember that like I know it sounds cheesy to say like the only limit is yourself, but it kind of is. So um, just remember like diabetes doesn't have to stop you from pursuing the things that you want to do. And in another weird full circle moment, I think that the things that you want to do will always kind of catch up with you in one way or another. I don't think I've ever shared this story on the podcast. In college, I went to school for energy engineering. Junior year, um, my fall semester, I had actually dropped out of engineering and switched to biobehavioral health, which is essentially what I'm doing now. It's like that holistic approach to health and learning how your behaviors influence your health. And I had always known that I wanted to go in that direction. I wanted to help other people living with diabetes. But I'd switched for a week. I had done the classes for a week and I was talking to my advisors and pretty much they had said, you know, if you pursue this, if you continue the switch in major, you'll be in school for another year or two. And then you'll have to go into a secondary degree and just kind of like the the it was a snowball effect of like student loans and having to stay in school for longer and out of state tuition. So after that week, I had actually switched back to engineering because I just wanted to finish school on time. Now, fast forward, you know, like two years later, I graduated in engineering. I did the thing. I got a job in a tech company for a year, moved away to Miami, was working in this Fortune 500 company. I did the things, but there was still that pull that that was not fulfilling to me. And I wanted to work with people living with diabetes. I just didn't know what that looked like. Now, fast forward another three, four years, here we are coaching people living with type 1 diabetes. I became a personal trainer and now talking to you all on this podcast all about things with type 1 diabetes. So in one way or another, I really think if you're feeling that pull now, chances are it's not going to go away and just follow through with it. <laughs> um, okay, so number eight. Oh, this one is another big conversation. Just because something is normal in the diabetes space doesn't make it healthy. So I get a lot of backlash on social media sometimes because I post a lot about my life as a person living with diabetes that doesn't follow a low-carb diet. Um, In the words of Taylor Swift, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) And in reality, like that made sense, right? Because from day one that we're diagnosed with diabetes, we're kind of fed this narrative that lower carb intake means less fluctuation in your blood sugars. And that's just the narrative that we carry as people living with diabetes. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter your hormonal needs. It doesn't matter how much activity that you do in a day. It doesn't matter your preferences. It's just that narrative of you're type 1 diabetic. So that means that you need to eat less carbs. And that's just kind of the golden rule. That's just what we we live with. But here's the thing. I have tried that. I have read Dr. Bernstein's book. I have done the low-carb diets, the keto, all the things. And when I did that, I, one, resented my diagnosis. I resented my body for all the things that it couldn't do. Two, I isolated myself because it was easier than confronting new foods, being in new environments, and being in those social experiences. And three, 
I restricted myself very heavily from eating food because it was easier than having to make the decisions of the everyday the everyday decisions that we have to experience. And I realized that that wasn't healthy either. So even though I knew that that wasn't healthy, I had that little voice in the back of my head saying, well, you're type 1 diabetic. This is just life with type 1 diabetes and you're going to feel this way for as long as you live with type 1 diabetes. And so now that is why I am so vocal about, you know, how many carbs I eat or just the things that I do on a day-to-day basis that don't take that restrictive approach. I take a restriction-free approach. I take that flexible approach. And that's because nobody else at the time when I was diagnosed was telling me those things. They were telling me that this is just life with diabetes. You have to feel limited. You have to feel restricted. And I want to be that voice to show you that you can eat more carbs, you can get stronger, and you can lower your A1C at the same time without feeling resentful of this diagnosis. And when it comes down to it, health and wellness, it's really it's not about the perfect A1C. Yes, you can have it, but at the end of the day, it's about finding a lifestyle, a diet, and those activities that are centered around your preferences and your priorities. And that's exactly what we teach our clients now inside of our programs like KB100. And now, number nine, the last lesson that I've learned over the last nine years of living with type 1 diabetes, and that it's exactly what that comes down to. The goal of your diabetes management should be to create a life from diabetes that you don't need a break from. Diabetes burnout is normal, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, that we all feel that from time to time. But if you find yourself in that cycle of working really hard to lower your A1C, then you feel overwhelmed because it just feels like too much. And then you feel burnt out and you call call it quits because you just need a break. If you find that to be a reoccurring cycle, that is your sign that it is not sustainable and that you need a new approach. A sustainable management approach means that you have a balance between your blood sugars, between your career, between your relationships and your social life and everything in between. And it also means that you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. So if you're feeling like right now you really have to, you're either sacrificing your blood sugars for your life or you're sacrificing your life's experiences for your blood sugars, then this is your sign that to join a community or to put that goal of sustainability at the forefront. And that's exactly why communities like Keeping It 100 exist. We are here to help you find that balance between the life that you've created for yourself and life with diabetes. So it doesn't feel like one has to be on the back burner for the other. So just a note, we are enrolling for our March cohort. So this is your opportunity to click the link in the show notes that will allow you to book an enrollment call with me so that we can talk through your management and talk about your next steps to make the next 10 weeks something that transforms your management into a sustainable approach. So I hope that this podcast episode was uh, insightful for you no matter where you are in your management. I just really think that no matter how many years that you've been living with diabetes, this is a time to sit back and reflect and really think about what the next year means for you. And it's kind of funny, like I posted about my diversity the other day on Instagram and I always get those comments of like, you don't know enough, like it's only been nine years, like I've been living with diabetes for 40 years. And just like 
a pause to say that no matter where you are in your journey, if you have been living with diabetes for one year, six months, or 40 years, your experience is so valid and it's so needed in the community to share. So never feel like just because I've been living with diabetes for less than a decade that my experience is invalid. Trust me when I say it is so valid and it's something that we should share more of. So if this podcast episode was insightful for you, I would love if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I don't know if you can leave reviews on Spotify, but leave a review on whatever listening platform that you are listening to. Take a screenshot and go ahead and send that to me at KI100official underscore. When you send a review of the podcast, Stingrip and I collaborate because they are the sponsor of this podcast. We collaborate to pick one person every single week to win a free pack of patches. Trust me when I say that their patches are incredible and they're the only thing that keep my device on for the full 10 days wearing mine now. Um, So yeah, go ahead, leave a review on whatever you're listening on, take a screenshot, send it to me, and you can be entered to win a free pack. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode, and we will see you next week.